just the basic necessities, food, energy, and transportation are going up so much that it is really going, and, and this is all, by the way, on a backdrop of the central bank that has to increase rates, even if it's just, yeah. you know, tiny little bits amount that are going to get passed on straight away through the retail banks to the mortgages, and they're going to push those rates up anyway because of their own margin squeezing, which uh, we mentioned before. So when you've got the cost of living skyrocketing, when you've got mortgage rates on the increase, and you've got the value of these properties going up, something has to give. And this is really what I want people to understand is what we're getting at is that. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the megatrends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Exponential Investor Podcast. I'm your editor, Sam Volkering, here with my co-editor, Shay Russell. Thanks for joining me again this week. Shay, how's your week been so far? Not too bad. Sam, what about yours? Yeah, all right, actually. I had a busy week. We did, did some uh, recording with, a. I won't, I won't say exactly who, but it's something that the AXI readers uh, and listeners can look forward to in the coming weeks with a very well-known uh, British personality. Uh, we, we talked a lot about uh, about the crypto markets and what's coming in that. So a lot of exciting stuff there, but we'll cover off more on that in the coming weeks. Uh, what I wanted to talk to you about this week, Shay. Um, so I wrote something earlier this week about uh, property, how I think that property is actually a not a great idea for an investor at the moment uh, and lay out a few reasons why that might be the case. I was looking specifically at the residential property market. And, and I, I led that piece off by saying that I'm an expert in property markets and I'm an expert because I am an Australian. Now, as a fellow <laughs> compatriot of mine, uh, you will understand where I'm coming from in, in this respect, that it is is a national pastime. Um, I'm talking about property, property prices, what your house is worth, where, where you live, all these kinds of things. Um, but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper in to give our viewers and readers an understanding of what what your experience has been with the property market in Australia, because what I am sort of seeing is that the UK market, while it, it, it does have its own kind of thing going on, I feel like the Aussie market actually is kind of leading the UK market a little bit, but that both markets are coming to a point where we're sort of reaching the end of, of juicing out all the really big returns that the boomers have uh, really capitalized on and that it is not going to be looking pretty like what we've seen over the last 30 years. The next 30 years ain't going to be the same. That's kind of the core of crux of my argument. What's what's your sort of take on what's happening over there at the moment? From an Australian point of view, and this is probably the most un-Australian thing I can say, is that I wholeheartedly agree with you. <laughs> I don't think the next 30 years are going to be anything like the past 30 years here in Australia. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, obviously, back in the 1990s, so back into that 30-year bracket, there was significant deregulation of the lending market, which allowed, I hate using this word, but mum and dad investors to <laughs> take on investment properties. Negative gearing was introduced sometime during that period as well, and it basically allowed speculation, uh, speculation on shelter. Um, it means that there's been a lot of easy money flowing into it, and there's been, a, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, a lot of easy profits there as well. Uh, you can't. We can't deregulate the investment sector or the housing investment sector any further. It's mm. been as we've loosened lending policies as much as we can. So I don't think there's going to be any more 
changes to it that will make accessing credit for housing easier. I do think that the government are going to favour policies that do encourage home ownership over the next decade. But I, I, I don't see these, you know, oh, my house price doubled in five years sort of gain. That's not normal. Healthy housing markets don't function like that. Mm. Yeah. It, I've, so I had a few people write into us after Monday's article to say, oh, but, you know, I've uh, recently in the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, I've seen some people with that have bought property that's literally doubled within the space of 12 months, 18 months. And by all means, the last, you know, the last 18 months have been an, an anomaly. They're, they're, it's an outlier situation that we've seen due to the pandemic and, and due to a whole, whole host of factors about where people live, how they function with work, how they commute, where they commute to, a lot of lifestyle. People have sort of taken a more introspective look at their lifestyle. Um, and so we've seen, particularly over here, there's been a, a, a quite an increase in demand, but supply and stock has been pretty thin on. Uh, and we continue to see that for the time being. But like you say, over here, it's been a similar situation. There's, there's you know, access to, to that kind of money has been pretty easy and we know has been cheap. You know, you can still get a, you can still get a multi-year fixed rate over here for less than 2%, um, which is Okay, it's not free money, but it's bloody close to free money, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I remember when I first moved here from Australia, and um, you know, I remember having a having a property in Australia, and the the, the interest rate was like six percent or something like that, and that felt normal. Come here, and it's like yeah. one, 1.8%. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Um, yeah. And and you're right, that kind of ridiculousness doesn't last forever. And we know that the banks, central banks, need to up the cash rate. And that's going to pretty quickly be passed on through the retail banks as well, because they're, the retail banks are upping rates anyway, regardless of what the central bank does, because the retail banks continue to have their margins squished. So there is loose lending. Uh, it feels like they can't really loosen it much more without basically, it feels like if they loosen it anymore, they will just be giving loans without actually reviewing anyone. You could you could you could be bankrupt, and they'll just hand you off a residential loan if they loosen it any further. Um, so I guess I guess my question is, if people people have seen this this incredible run in the values of their properties, I'm of the view that it cannot continue, and it seems like you're somewhat in in agreement with me on that. So what happens next then if if we're not going to see that speculative mania continue, how does how does that sort of flow out? Does does all of a sudden we we find that there's a shift in in how people live? Like you know, for instance, it's it's quite well known that in Germany they've got a, quite a, a stronger proportion of renters against homeowners. Do you think people need to get used to a new a new mindset around property? It feels like Australia and England are very much in the same camp that the approach to property is it's almost like it's become more of a speculative pastime than actually just about putting a roof over your head. Um, and that has obviously led a lot of this, this abnormality in the market. What, what kind of comes next out of all this? So I think there's, I, I actually see there's sort of two stages ahead. And um, look, I'm not wedded to either of these ideas, but there's sort of two scenarios that I can um, see playing out. And some of it's very reminiscent of, you know, the subprime crisis mm. uh, that, you know, impacted the US in the late 2006 to, sorry, 2006 to 2008. 
so in Australia, the government's becoming more and more interventionist with their policies. So uh, our Prime Minister recently announced that there's certain schemes that if you're a single parent, you only need a 2% deposit to access a house and the government will make up the rest of it rather than needing lender's insurance to make up the gap to go to it. So when you start seeing these sort of interventionist policies, it tells me that we've still got some way to run before the end of the speculation on housing runs out. Uh, however, at some point we're going to run out of people to buy the houses. Um, now, unless we significantly lift our immigration intake, there's not going to be enough people to buy all the housing stock from the boomers as they shuffle off this mortal coil. Um, so I sort of see... I don't think anything's, I don't think we're going to get a spectacular crash. And I say this as somebody who, you know, wouldn't mind a bit of a spectacular crash. But I think more what we're, Australia is going to experience in the next 10 to 15, 20 years is a slow burn. Basically, rather than house prices doing the insane figures that we've seen, I don't think we're going to see, you know, house price gains. It'll be more of a housing prices remain relatively steady over a decade or two rather than this spectacular housing bust. Um, look, I could be completely wrong on this um, uh, simply because I didn't actually expect the government to keep intervening at every step of the way. We've also got to remember here in Australia that nine out of ten politicians own investment properties. They've got skin in the game. So it's absolutely in their best interest to keep Australian property values inflated as long as possible. So any sort of drastic changes to slow it down uh, you know, their retirement years away or, you know, even outside of that back to the, you know, they're passing it on. Um, as for do we become a nation of renters, I'm not sure if Australia will adapt to that mindset that's in Europe. Um, then again, one of the things that the pandemic has showed us that some people value living flexibly, flexibly rather than permanently. Mm. So maybe it's not just a, it, it, it's an entire socioeconomic shift that we're witnessing at the same time. Yeah, it's it's an, it's an interesting approach. It's particularly, I think, the last couple of years have really emphasised about the idea that maybe maybe the where you live isn't as important as perhaps it used to be in terms of being able to get around and how to work and access and access work as well. What when we're talking about all of this um, and we're talking about like you mentioned, you know, it, it's still relatively easy to get access to uh, to credit to buy you know, residential property and things like that. So we are still seeing people take on um, quite large mortgages. I mean, again, with some of the some of the responses I had to, to Monday's, uh, Monday's piece, you know, I think somebody wrote in that was, you know, retired and they had some investment properties. But what I was trying to get at is that the wealth from this property growth hasn't necessarily been realized in the fact that people are still carrying debt well beyond retirement into their 60s and into their 70s. So theoretically, okay, yeah, maybe the value of your property's gone up, but in order to get new properties, as all the other properties continue to go up as well, you're still taking on debt. And if you look at the actual debt levels and you look at the, the residential debt levels in both your country and my country, well, my country and your country and this country, which I also call my country. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> I'm a multi-country kind of guy. Um, the the actual accrual of residential debt has only gone up. That's a byproduct of the, the prices going up, but it's also a byproduct, I believe, of people not actually realizing wealth because I'm, I'm of the argument that you can't realize that wealth properly with the property market when everything is going up. Because ultimately, even if you have somewhere that is your home and you want to move to realize that wealth, where are you going to move to? Are you going to downsize? Like this whole, I think the biggest, 
I think the biggest fallacy in property, whether it's investing or just buying a roof over your head, is this idea of downsizing when you're older. I think it's utter crap because no one wants less than what they have. Let's be honest. No one wants to downgrade, really. Actually, I'm going to throw this out at you. Do you know what I hate? Having a house full of stuff. I have two kids. They play sports. I have numerous hobbies and I have a house full of stuff and decorations. I look forward to the day where it can be me, a little old lady, (laughs) pottering around in an apartment with nothing. Yeah, I'm going to call you on that. I'm going to say you will never do that because kids will end up with kids. You'll have grandkids. You'll need more space. You want to have them around. You want to have people, you want family dinners and stuff like that. So you're not going to want less space. That's my argument at least. I can't cook, so. <laughs> but you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll revisit this conversation 30 years from now. We should, we should. And and look, <clears throat> I would love to hear from anybody that is watching or listening to us now that has done that, that has legitimately realized the wealth from a large property or property they've had and downsized and become debt-free, had a bunch of money put aside. I would love to hear from you. But at the same time, if you... If you're stuck in that situation where you've thought about downsizing, you actually ended up with a bigger place and maybe taking on more debt. I want to hear from you too. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's just that point of the argument is I don't believe that the wealth that's been created from these property booms has actually been taken out of the market. And if it hasn't been taken out of the market, it doesn't exist in my view. I mean, paper yeah. gains are paper gains. You're not, it's, it's not a, a not a proper gain until you actually realize it. So again, it's, 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 a, it's a topical conversation. People get very tribal about property because – Again, it's, it's one of those things, you know, everyone's like property value only goes up. And that's usually because most people don't really move that often. And if you're looking at the value of your property today and then in 20 years time and only those two points, it's a pretty good argument that the value is going to go up. Same in the stock market. If you looked at the stock market 20 years ago and then looked at it today at absolutely no point in between, there's a pretty good chance that the value of your investment's gone up. The problem with property is that there isn't a minute by minute daily uh, valuation of your property given. So you don't you don't crap yourself when, you know, the property drops by 10% because you just don't know. And you don't know, what you don't know can't scare you to death. And so there's a different mindset about property and investing in stock market. But in reality, we're talking about, you know, assets that do carry different risks and things like that. Anyway, it all does come back to something else that I wanted to have a bit of a chat about today. And we'll, we'll sort of make this our final point before we wrap up about the just general cost of living, which is absolutely skyrocketing here in the UK. Um, you know, over time and over the last few years and over the last decade, the actual cost to buy a house has gone from like, you know, three, four times income, creeping up to nine times income. Recently, I know in Australia, it's been like 10 times and above in, in the big capital cities like Melbourne and Sydney. Um, yep. It's with with the cost of fuel. What's it like over there at the moment? Like I can, people watching know what it's like here, but is it, is it the same in Australia? Is the petrol price skyrocket? Is your energy bills going up? Is What's it like the weekly shop like? Is it all just the same over there? Look, um, it's sort of, we've had a slow inflationary creep and we've had slow inflationary shocks. So I was just jumping, just before we started talking, I jumped on and I saw that your annual CPI is running at 6.2, which is pretty hot. Um, the Australian CPI in comparison is, let me go back a page, 2.4. So that's quite low and it's well within our central bank's um, target, which is 2 to 3%. Oh, that's got to be What's gonna nudge- garbage. I, I don't believe those figures at all. Absolutely. Abs- but just, absolutely anyone, anyone listening that doesn't know what CPI is, that's consumer price index. That's the general measure oh, of inflation sorry. in a country as well. 
And I also think both figures are work, works of fiction. Like I have no faith. Oh, yeah, ours is double digits um, comfortably. Yeah, with, well, without question. So a recent example is we were recently paying uh, $2.20 a litre for petrol when the Brent crude price had that shock. Uh, so in pounds, it's about $1.10. Like that's that's enormous. Sorry, not $1.10, $1. $1.10 per quid. I actually don't know what the currency can be. Well, so it's, it's, a, it's, about, it's about point, I think it's about roughly about half. So for, I'll give you an example. So to fill up my car, I've got a diesel car. The basic diesel, so I'm not even talking premium diesel stuff. Premium diesel stuff is obscene. But basic diesel is one pound, about one pound eighty, a bit over one pound eighty. So that's roughly about three dollars sixty in Australian. Yeah, that's just phenomenal. So our base diesel, the highest it got to was two bucks forty. So like way less than what you were paying. Crazy. Um, there are absolutely petrol price shocks. Now the cost of food in Australia is People are complaining about it now. The problem is everybody in Australia seems to forget about the bushfires that we had in January 2020, uh, and then which drastically uh, altered, you know, it, um, was a food supply shock there to our to our beef and to our lamb. And we're feeling the flow on effects now. And I love this agriculture story, and I'll tell people about it later on. Uh, and then we had the devastating floods at the start of the year, end of last year, start of this year as well. This is basically what happens in Australia. We're always on fire underwater. It's just the way it goes. Like that forever, really. Gets eaten by a shark. <laughs> yeah, and this is it. This is how our economy runs. Um, so we've already been fe feeling those impacts of food pri uh, food price inflation for quite some time. However. The inflationary creep that I'm referring to is that energy prices have been rising substantially for about three or four years. Mm. Um, I would say my I'm paying $1,000 more a year for electricity and gas than I was three years ago, but it's not an energy price shock. It's been a slow creep. Right. There's various reasons for it, but because it is a so, slow creep, we haven't really been noticing it as much. Um, I also don't see these cost of living pressures going down anytime soon. And now I don't know if this is a uniquely Australian problem for the moment. What's happening is our wages aren't rising. There are pockets where wages are rising. So those people aren't um, feeling the effects. But basically the, the lower end of the spectrum, the lower end of the wage spectrum, their wages aren't rising and it is really hurting a group of people. Yeah, and look, I think that's really what, what the sort of story that's not really being covered as, as much as it should be is about right now it's it's sort of people are able to kind of get by but we are very fast approaching a very severe affordability crisis in in property and i think it's really go that's going to be a major shock to to that market which is why i wanted to talk about the cost of living because just the basic necessities food en energy and transportation going up so much that it is really going and and this is all by the way on a backdrop of the central bank that has to increase rates even if it's just yeah. you know tiny little bits amount that are going to get passed on straight away through the retail banks to the mortgages and they're going to push those rates up anyway because of their own margin squeezing which uh, we mentioned before so when you've got the cost of living skyrocketing when you've got mortgage rates on the increase and you've got the value of these properties going up something has to give and this is really what I want people to understand is where we're getting at is that it it cannot sustain the way it's going. You cannot have all these price rises go up. You cannot have the value of these properties go up. You cannot have these rates going up and expect it all to continue to be affordable. Again, while, like you say, wages are not increasing at the rate they should be. And it's going to come to a point, it's going to come to a prickly point pretty soon, which is why... Ta-da, we come full circle and I think property is actually a pretty bad investment at this point. And why I think that if you've got money that 
you do have disposable money to invest in the market that you want to be avoiding property because I think that that's actually going to be a pretty nasty sector over the next decade. Whereas what we continue to see in the stock market and in other markets like the crypto markets are, I frankly think, better opportunities. When you look at the opportunity cost and the risk return uh, profiles of these sectors, uh, people talk about property being a, a safer kind of investment. I think that's that's rubbish. I think property is equally as risky, if not as risky, as the market stock market can be. And I will debate anybody on that anytime uh, that you want. But ultimately, I think that investors need to be aware that you know we are still talking when we talk about property about a risky asset class, and it's probably riskier now than it's ever been. And and there's there's this this sort of constant belief that property only goes up and doubles every X amount of years. La da 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 da. You've got to, I think in this world we are at the moment with everything that's gone on over the last five to 10 years, you've got to shake some of those core concepts that used to apply back then out of your mind because they don't apply anymore. It's just not how the world is. It's not how the world works anymore. People call it a new world order or whatever, but um, we are frankly in a different time. And I think that property isn't what she used to be. It's that and we're an entire generation like you and me, Sam, we're born in the same decade. We're a generation that knows nothing but prosperity. And it's really easy to turn around and make the assumption that a property only goes up when you've only lived through a time where property goes yep. up. You know, in Australia, we had a pretty deadly housing bust in the 1890s that was a wealth eroding event. Uh, and then, of course, you had the Great Depression in the 1930s, which was another wealth eroding event. So instability is normal periods of prosperity isn't and depending on where you start measuring you could argue and say that we've had 40 years of um, economic prosperity overall so it, it leaves people in our demographic in particularly quite vulnerable to not understanding shocks when they come along um, and a simple thing is you know you look at the UK and you look at Australia we're consumption-based societies our GDP is derived from consumption yep. give or take a few percentage points when people's costs of living are rising and they cannot afford to consume what they used to, it's going to have a recessionary impact on the economy. And this is one of those little shocks that central bankers like to pretend isn't happening, but it will slow economic growth. Yeah. And, you know, especially if money's going into paying off more of the mortgage now because interest rates are rising and you're paying £1.80 or two quid a litre for petrol, it's going to suck money out of the economy elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I completely agree with you. Things aren't like what they used to be. This isn't an alarmist point of view. This is the opportunities that used to work have changed. Yeah, I think you're right. That's that's a really good summation is that the opportunities have changed. The game has changed. It's interesting you mentioned the R word there through recession because I think that's probably where the UK is heading. And, and, I, and I sort of say that as well. What you will see from the government is a series of, of announcements about you know, wanting to position the country as, you know, a, in, as a growth leader, as they want to attract investment. You'll get a lot of these announcements starting to come out about how there's so much opportunity and growth and all that. And they usually position that before a recessionary period to sort of get that narrative going that things are okay. When in reality, when you look at everything happening, it's actually probably heading towards the R word, towards a recession. Yeah, It's, it's interesting that the timing of, of, of what we're talking about, and just a couple of days ago, um, the Chancellor here in the UK, Rishi Sunak, spoke about 
um, making the UK a, a crypto hub of investment and innovation and really sort of out of nowhere said, okay. we're going to position the UK in this huge growth opportunity, which we'll, we'll dig into perhaps in, in another uh, Exponential Investor podcast. But ultimately, it's one of those kinds of announcements that says, hey, look at what we're doing. We're going to be growing. We're going to do all these great things. When in reality, when you look at what's happening, we're actually, as you say, cost of living is going up. Wages aren't tracking with that as well. It's going to suck money out of other parts of the economy and things are going to slow down. So again, <laughs> we don't want to be you know, too alarmist. And, and by all means, we're both very positive, optimistic, and I still think there's huge opportunities in the market for investment. We'll dig into what that all means in the coming weeks, but it's important that people understand that you know, you've got to look beyond the sort of headlines. You've got to look a bit deeper and really look at the numbers, where things are heading, the trajectory they're going, because the game has changed. But we have gone on way longer than we normally go on. This is going to be a common thing with you and me, I think. We're just going to go on longer than we Absolutely. usually do. But thanks again for joining us this week, Shay. It has been a pleasure as usual. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. We'll be back with you again next week with another Exponential Investor podcast. Bye for now. Thank you.